when the brother talked to me about holding this meeting, it was a real joy for me to hold it. Uh, he asked that I kind of structure my teaching about what it is to grow in Christ from the beginning to the end, you know, kind of the, the spectrum that we encounter in this life and what to expect at different stages. And we had a little conversation about growth, spiritual growth. And I think that's important for all of us to have that same conversation. How do you know you've spiritually grown? Is it just because of your tenure in the church? I hope not, because you can be a member of a church for a long time and not really have grown in, in any knowledge. That's obvious when you study the seven churches of Asia in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. Some were very immature. In fact, some had no commendation from God at all. Others had matured and were growing great. And so it is. It's spiritual growth is not something you, you actually see with your eye, like a wart or something, you know, that grows. Do you have a big growth or do you have a little growth? You know, you don't know that. I know I'm a little bald. Not a whole lot bald, I hope, but some of us are more bald than others. I won't say who, but the whole point is, is we can kind of, we can kind of estimate and look around, we see that. But spiritual growth, can you get that just from looking at someone? Not really. But if you look at their deeds, you find a whole different things. We can look at someone's deeds, someone's behavior, and understand if they've been with Christ or not, or if they're growing in Christ, if they have that kind of knowledge. There's a certain mindset a Christian has, a certain way of relating to situations and events that happen, a way of dealing with heartaches and disappointments, a way of dealing sometimes with growth and joy, a way of dealing with time. We ought to say if the Lord wills, we do this or that. And so there's a way that we can see through looking at people's behavior and attitudes about whether they're mature in Christ or not. And so it is with some of this growth that we're talking about. Tonight, I want to talk about all kinds of growth in the scriptures and how the Bible writers expected the scriptures to be used to measure one's faithfulness to God to measure one's commitment to God, to measure one's love for God. Those scriptures are in there. If a man loves God, he'll keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I love the Lord, but they don't keep his commandments. We know that that's not true because they don't keep his commandments. You can't love God and not keep his commandments. So that's what I'm talking about. God gave us ways to measure ourselves. God gave us, as James tells us, a mirror into which to look. And there we can see what manner of man we are. That is a special kind of mirror. It's not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. We look into the word, see what kind of people we are, and then we're not supposed to go away and forget what kind of people we are. We're supposed to look at that and see what needs improvement, see what needs to be cleaned up, see what needs to be straightened up in order to be presentable before God. And so today I want to talk about that maturing in Christ. The book of Ephesians, the last verse, tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
but it doesn't just mean grow in head knowledge. It means I want you to grow in putting that knowledge into your living, the way you live. And so it is. If you have your Bibles, please open to Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We're going to be spending the majority of our time on those uh, two chapters today. I will tell you, there's some also some other passages in Colossians 3 and others that are, that are primary to really growing in Christ. But if you'll turn to Ephesians, I want you to notice how basic the writer of Ephesians is when talking about what it means to be a Christian. Look at chapter 5, verse 1, while you're there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper amongst the saints. And so he says, look, here's a good thing. Here's, here's how I know that you've got the right, the right thing going on. You're, you're following Christ. He says, be imitators of God. And we know that Jesus wouldn't act in this way. He says, walk in love, just as Christ also loved. That is something that's primary and important. Walk in love. What is love? Well, the Bible tells us love really is not patient, kind, and everything. That's how love behaves in one way. But what's a real definition of love? Well, in Colossians, he tells us, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what attitude is being described there? He says, do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus. You see, the Christian, one of the primary things, the two greatest commandments, love God with all heart, soul, mind, strength, love our neighbors, ourselves. The second greatest commandment, as well as the first one, putting God first in everything, is putting someone else's interests above ourselves. Christians are not self-centered people. Christians are not a people who are, the world revolves around them. And yet our culture enshrines, ennobles, and even worships people who have this self-will that is strong, and they are going to do what they are going to do. And they think they, by ennobling the individual, that they are really honoring something that's a virtuous thing. Virtuous. I've talked to many atheists, and atheists think selfishness is a virtuous act. In fact, there's a book by that name. There's a book by that name talking about selfishness being a virtue. Well, Christ didn't teach that. Christ taught thinking of others' welfare above our own is the greatest virtue. In fact, he talks about this in many passages of Scripture. He talks about how we love one another. And we're willing. he even encourages the brethren, just as Christ also laid himself down for you, so ought you to lay yourselves down for the brethren. Love is a primary thing. It's a primary distinction. And so as young Christians... As people that are just starting to serve Christ, or serve Christ, one of the primary things we have to learn is that by learning Scripture, we learn how to have a good relationship with God and with one another. And that's learning how to love, 
how to look out for another's interests above our own. One person even described it, illustrated it a different way. He said, "There, I looked in two different rooms, and I saw in one room people who were starving to death because they had sat around a table with a bowl of food, and they had long spoons, and they had to hold the end of it by which they were to feed themselves, and they couldn't feed themselves, and they were all starving to death. Their spoons were so long, they couldn't dip it in the soup and feed themselves. But then I went to the next room, and I saw people who were well-fed, and they had learned that by taking the spoon and feeding others, they themselves could be fed. And that is the body of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? To understand that our needs are going to be met when we give. You can't outgive God. You can't outgrow God. But we've got to learn the very first thing about being a Christian, and that's be an imitator of God as beloved children and walk in love. That means we've got to really look out for each other. And that's why in the body of Christ we're told time and time again to encourage one another. The one another way. If you have a concord, there's concordance online for all kinds of Bibles. Look up the term one another and see how many times it comes up in the New Testament. It comes up often. There's a whole sermon that you can get on the one another way. And it's a beautiful little sermon. But here in this passage, he says, be imitators of God. If we're God's children, doesn't it make sense that we imitate his character and his love? Of course it does. Yes. Now let's go on. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. There's no filthiness or silly talk. The Bible is very plain here. He says, these aren't part of a Christian's life or silly talk. Of course, jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, he's not saying that just uh, being funny is wrong. I know that God thinks has a sense of humor or he wouldn't have made the platypus. But the whole point is, is God, the Bible says God laughed. And he laughs. But there, that laughter is, is part of us, you know. So there are sometimes animals that sound like they're laughing, but they don't really have laughter. But mankind can laugh. We can understand. We can be in enjoy things in, different, in a different way. But he says, listen right here. Notice, no filthiness or silly talk. In other words, don't be base. Don't get, don't tell base jokes. Don't don't talk about things that are improper to laugh at. Notice, for you know this with certainty that no immoral or uh, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now he just presumes that you understand this, that we understand that we're not supposed to have this irritability with other people's success, covetousness, everything else. I wish I had it, and they didn't. I mean, that's jealousy and envy and covetousness. All of those attitudes are improper. They're inappropriate in Christian growth. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Notice what he goes on to say. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. But you were formerly darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The term walk here means live. Live as children of light. Children that understand the will of God. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what Christians are about. Goodness, 
righteousness, truth. That's what people should be known for in the body of Christ. Notice verse 10. Trying, this is a New American Standard. I don't know what your version is going to say here. Notice, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. <coughs> trying to learn what is pleasing. He didn't say just learning about the Lord's commandments. Now, we do try to learn what God expects and God forbids. We know that. But that's not what this says. It says trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, I know what Reba expects of me. Sometimes I don't know if I'm pleasing to her or not, or or her to me. You know, sometimes I try to figure that out, but there's some mysteries. Never mind. The whole point I'm getting at here, whenever it comes to God, God says, walk as children of light. You know something. You know, whenever you read the Bible and you read what God forbids, what is sin and what isn't sin, what is righteousness and what isn't righteousness, don't just think about that one little thing. Understand that that act, what God forbids, that choice that God makes to say, this is what I don't want you to do, is a reflection of God's character. It tells us about God. We can get God, we can get to know God through learning what God doesn't appreciate and what God does appreciate. And therefore he doesn't say he says there's some things that I didn't command, but I told you I'm not pleased with, and you know what? For a Christian, that's good enough. For a Christian, all I have to know is this is pleasing to God. Well, they said the Bible doesn't forbid it or the Bible doesn't command it. That's not the point. If this pleases God, I will give him praise. I will sing. You know, that's what, try to encourage kids to and people, old men and old women, to sing. They say, well, have you heard me? I don't give very much pleasure if you hear me sing. I say, you know what? It's not about the quality of your voice. Because I'm really not pleased. <laughs> this fruity. No, no, no. It's not about that. The plan, how does God, is God pleased with this? Does God appreciate that? Then I will rejoice. I rejoice when I hear little kids singing out at the top of a rung. Well, sure, they didn't hit it. They're not on the same key, but who cares? God is pleased because it's from their heart. They're singing about God. They, they're, they're, God is pleased. And that's neat. When I, I hear old people sing, when I hear somebody, they're, they're, they, they, have it, they only got two notes. Off of it and too loud. You know, that, that's all they do. But the whole point is God is pleased because they're worshiping him with their heart. You see, that's what I'm talking about here. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. Don't be short-sighted. But understand. Whenever we read the Bible, it gives us understanding of what is pleasing to, to God. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Verse 11. Uh, verse 15. Be careful as you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of it is. Don't get drunk with wine, which is filled with spirit. Speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's so much in this passage, or in this book, that I can't get to tonight. I told you time was going to be longer. I'm going to try to... 
trying to cut, try to cut it back. But all I'm saying here is the Bible is very straightforward. He doesn't just say these are commands to do, not to do. Why don't you just give me a list? I'll memorize it. No. You get to know God through the Word of God. You get to know what pleases Him and what doesn't please Him. And whenever we find out all about the nature of God as He's revealed to us, then we're ready. Then we're growing. Then we're really making an understanding of the will of God. Let's go back to talking about the measuring, the stature, and the fullness of Christ. In chapter 4, please turn back to chapter 4. <coughs> and in verse 11, we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight. Mm. Yeah, let's just go through this real quick. And he gave some. Christ is the giver of the gifts. Christ is the administrator of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As it says in the scriptures, the manifestations came by the Holy Spirit. The list, uh, This list focuses on gifts that are instructional in nature. Why is that? Because he has just encouraged them as we've read on down. I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to understand something. God's words are written to be understood. If you can get somebody into reading the Word of God, you'll take away that, that vast myth that is believed the Bible can't be understood. I was, I was studying with some young people in Wichita, Kansas one time, and we were reading the Bible. I said, let's just get together and read the Bible. And we read the Bible, and you know, they were amazed. They loved it. They looked forward to the next week, and I said, don't you read it before you come? No, no, no. We, just, we love to come here and read the Bible together. And I said, you don't read it other times? And they, they hadn't been. But they said, whenever we sit down and read it together, it's amazing. The Bible can be understood. I mean, their eyes were open. They said, I can understand the Bible. And I told them, whenever they read it at home, they could understand it there, too. But they didn't see that. There's a lot of people who think that the Bible can't be understood. Listen to one thing. If you're going to take one thing away from the lesson. I want you to hear this. It's not the parts of the Bible that we don't understand that give us problems. It's the parts we do. It's the parts that we do understand. And as we read it, we grow. And God will speak to our growth as we continue to read it. It's very simple for those who are simple. It's very moderate for those who are maturing. It gets more difficult as time goes on for those who are older because we get something new out of it every time we read it. It grows with us, and that's God's intent. So when we read the Bible, we grow in our understanding of the will of God. It's like reading a book. You go back and read it the second time, and you get a lot more out of it. And that's the whole thing. But we've got to be that. Notice, he gave some as apostles. So in, in this passage, he's going to list spiritually gifted offices here in this passage and talk about their usefulness in the church. Notice what he says. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Okay, what what are what is an apostle? Let's go right quick. Let's just get some basics down as we go contextually through this. 
Well, generically, an apostle is described as being a king's commissioned agent or a delegate subject to official orders. In other words, somebody who represents or somebody who is doing things in a in a submission to some authority that is higher than themselves. Sometimes the New Testament it uses this in a generic way, speaking of messengers sent out by the church, one sent with credentials. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. Barnabas, Antiochus, and Julian, James, the brother of the Lord, Epaphroditus. These people were sent to represent the church to, to accomplish a specific thing oftentimes. And so they were sent with the letter to do that. And that's what an apostle is. Most often, though, the term apostle applies specifically to the 12 hand-picked messengers of Christ. They were apostles of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is. He claims to be an apostle of Christ, not of the church, of Christ, he says in, in Galatians. Notice, and also in Colossians, Paul is speaking of his apostleship, says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us we beg you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. So this isn't a term that talks about somebody who was handpicked by Jesus to accomplish a specific person. Except for Christ, their work, their work took priority over all others in the church. The apostles all have miraculous credentials, spiritual gifts, signs that were designed to authenticate their spiritual capability. And what I mean by that, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Evidently, there were signs that were limited to them that were picked by Jesus. One of those signs were laying on hands on others and then receiving spiritual gifts. Only an apostle of Jesus Christ could do that. Now, we could receive spiritual gifts. That all, you know, Back then, they could receive all kinds of gifts. But laying on of hands, when Simon saw Acts 8, through the laying on of the apostles' hands that spiritual gifts were good. You see, that was a specific to an apostle. An apostle had specific, authentic gifts that he could perform. They were unique in that way alone, and the ability to pass on spiritual gifts through the laying on of their hands, Acts 8 and verse 18, if you're taking notes. Do we have the apostolic offices in office in the church today? Does the church have apostles today? Has anybody ever asked you that question? The answer is yes. The same ones the early church had. Is there apostles in the church? Yes. These guys were apostles back then. And what they wrote had authority, and we still look to their authority today. The same apostles they had are the same apostles we have today. But are there new ones? No. Even though they died a long time ago, we have their eyewitness testimony recorded for us in the Word of God. And it continues to produce faith in those who hear. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes right here and hear by the word of God. That's how we walk by faith, by the way. We have their teaching chronicled in the scriptures, which still instructs us today. The church has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, the foundation of the church. Let's get the visual picture here. Christ is the chief corner. The rest of the foundation are the apostles and prophets given by God, and then the structure was built up from there. That's how we get by faith. We st do we still have Christ in the church today? I hope so. He's the chief. He's the chief cornerstone. Do we still have other apostles? Yes. The same apostles that the early church had. If your church has any other apostles other than the ones that we find in the scriptures, it's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's of men. It's 
not of God. And that's important. That's significant. We have these offices still with us today in the scriptures. Yes, we have the same apostles the early church had. Revelation 21, verse 14. The apostolic offices in the church have been filled, and the foundation laid by the apostles of Christ. So, no one alive today can qualify for this office. They can't be handpicked by Jesus. Well, what about prophets? Notice he said that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets. Well, what were prophets back then? They were divinely inspired foretellers or teachers of God's word. A prophet was not just somebody who could foretell the future. A lot of people say, oh, he's a prophet because he can foretell the future. Do you want to help me with the stock market? Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. A prophet in the scriptures is somebody who spoke for God. Now, when somebody speaks for God today and tells you, I can tell you tonight, Jesus Christ is coming back again. Yeah. Am I a prophet? No. I do so by the ability that prophets who wrote the scriptures wrote and told us. Am I prophesying? Yes. I'm prophesying that Jesus Christ is coming back, but not by my own ability, by the ability of the Holy Spirit whenever these things were written down for us today. So the foundation is still there. The apostles and prophets are part of that foundation. They are the ones who speak with authority. Don't tell me you only read the red words, please. Jesus inspired the red words, and he also inspired the other words that are in the New Testament. It is all authoritative because the foundation is not only Christ, but the apostles and prophets of the church as well. Teachers of God's revealed will. This office was second only to the apostles in authority. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. So when people tell, read other things, yes, those words have authority for us. They were also part of the foundation upon which the church is built, as we've already noticed. Ephesians 2.20, Ephesians 3 here, verse 4, and also verse 5. Prophets were the foundational in that day in that they were not only inspired messengers but writers of the scriptures as well mark luke james and jude these people were prophets well wait a minute they weren't apostles they were still inspired by god these books even though they weren't weren't written by apostles were written by prophets they had spiritual gifts and their word is authoritative. so all the new testament is authority, not just the red letters, not just the literal hand-picked apostles of Christ, but even the prophets, the teachers, the other ones, Mark, Luke, Acts, James, Jude, and Revelation. Notice their teachings and writings contributed to the body of truth the church uses for guidance. In the infancy of the church, inspired individuals filled the role of revealing God's will while the inspired books were being written. And by the way, they even had a hand in the compilation of this. Remember in Thessalonians, whenever he says, you had some letters as if from us. But they weren't from us. In other words, they were pointing out, you guys have received some things that said it was to be for the apostles. It wasn't. They sorted out. They said, no, no, don't accept those. Don't accept those writings as being from God. Only the ones that you hear us validate the ones that we support, those are inspired for God. They went through, they helped process the early collection 
of the church's scriptures. The ability, uh, the ability of inspiration and prophecy were going to cease. Now the Bible tells us, wait a minute, Glenn, are you saying the Holy Spirit isn't with us today? The Holy Spirit doesn't inspire us today? I want to know something here. Listen, if, especially if you're a young Christian, I want you to really pay attention here. There's a lot of people who want you to leave the Word of God aside and follow your intuition. Follow your intuition. In fact, I had one of my best friends in school. It went in off on some of this. It was a cult that started here in Oregon. And notice, you know what he said? He said the, the scriptures just introduce us to God. But once we've introduced, we no longer need the introduction. And I said, what are you saying? And he said, well, I've been introduced to Jesus because of the scriptures, but now that I know him, I don't need the scriptures. God just guides me day by day. The Holy Spirit just guides me day by day. I just into, I just feel all around me what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. I said, God wrote a book for you that is a light unto your feet and helps you make good decisions and a light unto your way. God said it was what you look into. It's a mirror, James says, into which you look and see what you look like to God. What do you mean, throw the scriptures aside? He said, well, once I know God, I don't need the Bible anymore. God wrote the Bible for a reason, my friends. God wrote it so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. He wants 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. That's what the King James Version, New King James. What's it talking about? Full-grown, mature, complete, locking. Teleon, that which lacks nothing necessary to completeness. That's what that word means. Fully equipped unto all good works. All scriptures have a purpose. That purpose is to bring us to maturity. That's why you should read your Bible. But how often do you? The first step in Christian growth is getting to know God, his will, his mind, and all that through reading the scriptures. Now, they used to have to have it read to them. Timothy, pay close attention to the public reading of scripture, is what the scripture said. Well, wait a minute. Do I, do I have to have somebody else read it to me? No. There used to be only very few people who had the ability to read. And there used to be one Bible per congregation back down through the ages. And there was the scribe who was able to read it to the people. And you know what people would do in the early church? Though Lord's Day services lasted a long time because people would come and they said, What you read last, Lord's Day, last, last Lord's Day, say it again. Because I'm sure my wife didn't hear that right. <laughs> and so they would re they would rehearse this on the way. They would listen. They would shake. What I heard him say was this. No, no, no. What he said was <laughs> they would have this little conversation. And then the next day they would they week they would come back and they would say, Could you please read that again? And they would read it again, and there would always be the I told you. No, no, no. That's the whole point I'm getting at. They would reconfirm. That's how they kept it. They kept it in their mind and in their heart, which is where it was. I really think in a lot of ways, it's more of a blessing when you have to have it memorized 
because we've bought our copies and keep them on a shelf. And we think we know the Word of God. I don't care how many copies of the Bible you've got. If you don't read it, hand it in. We can give it to somebody who can use it. The point is, use the Word of God. The primary step of growth of an early Christian is get your Bible out or in today's event, turn your phone on. Download a Bible app and let it read it to you. I don't like reading. It puts me to sleep. All right. Get your Bible app down. Almost all versions can be read to you. And then read it on your way to work. Read it on your way home. Let it be read to you. It's a lot easier. Your mind will meditate and think upon it. And that is the first step. It's the first step, guys. All of the apostles, all the prophets are no use to you if you never get heard. If it never gets into your heart and into your mind, into your understanding. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It is there that we really need to start out. Because of the necessity of spiritual gifts of prophecy in order for one to be in the office of a prophet, no one left a day can qualify for this office today. Evangelists. Evangelists are today. Notice they're responsible to spread the good news, share glad tidings, or preach the word of God. Two have held this office were Philip and Timothy, the scripture says. Although some evangelists in the New Testament, notably Timothy, present spiritual gifts, special miraculous knowledge is not essential to accomplish the work of evangelists. But Bible knowledge is, is necessary. Men, therefore, can qualify for the office today because it does not necessitate a spiritual gift. Since the written word is designed to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified, Acts 20, verse 31, then one who is naturally equipped with the knowledge of the gospel can do so with the work of evangelists today. Notice, we need more evangelists today. We need more people who share the word of God. We need pastors today or shepherds or bishops, whatever word we want to use to translate this office, act as a shepherd over local flocks or congregations. The title signifies the work, shepherding, shepherding. It doesn't mean that they are the owners of the sheep. It means that they're caretakers of the sheep. They make sure the sheep are fed. And when we're talking about spiritual feeding, we're talking about spiritual feeding of the word of God. Synonyms for this office are elders, presbyters, or bishops, or overseers, all of these things are mentioned in the scriptures. There should be more than one pastor for each congregation. There should be. They appointed elders in the churches back then. Acts 14.23, Titus 1.5. The qualifications for one would be aspire to this office are given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and there wasn't a spiritual gift mentioned in either of those. They were supposed to know the word of God. Neither the work nor the qualification of a pastor necessitates a spiritual gift, but rather requires spiritual maturity. We need more pastors today. And we need teachers today. Whether it's teaching pastors or teachers, we need more today. And we need people who are familiar with teaching the Word of God. We need somebody who gets it. Gets it. The first thing, I, the one thing, okay. I've got to slow down here. Sorry. If you have a computer, I encourage you to create a file system. I want you to put Bible. I want you to then sub under that, create two files, Old and New Testament. Under that, put all the books of the Bible. Under that, 
put all the chapters. And then whenever you hear something that is taught, you can go, find a file, stick that information in there. That's how you keep that knowledge. That's how you keep it. That's how you grow. As you go and you say, he made a good point about that. I'm going to write that. I'm going to go home and put that under Timothy, verse number 2. I've got to put it under there, under scriptures. Yes, I'm going to put it in that file. And then I can go back and retrieve that knowledge. That's how we can do this. I encourage every single one of you, if you have it, you can do it on your phone. You can do it at home. Create this file system where you can retain the knowledge that you hear others share. Notice, although the Greek definite article is absent from the word, okay, I should skip this. Okay, because this is my long teacher's version of this sermon. <laughs> where I talk about this, a teacher, all teachers are not pastors, but all pastors are to be teachers. All teachers must not be hypocrites, but they must be faithful men who are able to teach others also. We need more teachers today for the perfecting of the saints. Here's the point I want to get to. Notice if, you, in your, if you're following along in your scriptures, it says, for the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting, the word literally means toward, would be better translated with a view toward the goal of perfecting the saints. Well, what does perfecting mean? Perfecting is found only here in the New Testament. It's the only time this word is used here. Notice, the verb form is found 13 times. It means to render fit, sound, or complete. It carries the idea of outfitting or equipping someone to a task. Thayer says, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Notice, for the perfecting or for the completing of the saints. Saints are to be holy people and that they have been set apart by God because of salvation. The measure, the meaning then is Christ gave these gifts for the purpose of equipping Christians for the work of ministry. That's what he says in verse 12. This is how we know that we're being growing in Christ. Let me just ask a question here. Have you been a babe in Christ for a long time? Some of us are just babes in Christ, brand new Christians. Others have been babes for 40 years. You have need which somebody teach you again, which would be the first principles of the oracles of God. And I've need of milk and not meat, for meat belongs to those that by reason of use have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Here's how we know if we're growing. Am I equipped to do the teaching? Am I equipped to share the gospel with others? Am I equipped to help people understand what is being said here? There's always a difference between what we can comprehend and what we can teach. I'm asking, what can you teach that Christ taught, that the Bible teaches? That's how we know if we're growing or not. To, because we're being equipped for the work of the ministry. The word for carries the idea unto or in order to with a view toward a goal. Here's the goal. We need to be equipped in order to perform a work. A ministry. A ministry accomplished through serving, waiting upon, attending, relieving, aiding someone. And would better be translated for the work of service. The New American Standard translates it. For the work of the ministry or for the work of service. The meaning is this then. Christ gave these gifts with the purpose of equipping Christians for the work of providing what is spiritually needed in order for other Christians to grow. For the work of service. With a view to building up one another. With a view to edifying one another. 
Sometimes we can only talk about hunting. We can only talk about our work. We can only talk about something else when we get together. Why not talk about spiritual things? Growth, wisdom, discernment, whether we should or shouldn't do this. Those are the things that we need to sharpen our mind on. And that's how we know whenever we're growing. Can we carry on a spiritual conversation about scriptures and what they teach and what we're supposed to understand? To summarize, Christ gave a right inviting of spiritual gifts to specific Christians in the early church. Yes, these spiritual gifts were necessary to provide the early church with what is needed because they didn't have a Bible. They had spiritually gifted people that were writing the Bible. And notice, they wrote the Bible for us and that early church with what is needed to promote both individual and corporate spiritual growth. Till. Till means until the golden end or until it is reached. Till means until we come to a certain level. Until means four specific goals were accomplished. Till we attend. Here, let's just read it. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. Notice verse 13. Until, verse 13 of Ephesians 4. If he, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of the faith means that which we all share in common. That which faith, which unifies us. Notice, to the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's where we're headed, guys. I said all that to say this. This is the verse right here. Notice what he says here. Notice, because to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith, until we attain complete knowledge of Jesus, until we attain maturity, we replicate the measure of the stature of Christ. Maybe the best way for me to put it is this way. Let's look at this. Notice, he gave some as apostles and prophets, and here are some of the apostles and prophets. They all had part. Paul said, I know in part and prophesy in part. Paul wasn't given all the knowledge of the New Testament. He was given the parts that he wrote. Somebody else was given other parts. But they were each given this part until something happened, until something came to be. And he says, we gave all of these things until we could put the whole picture together. Notice, here's the writers of the New Testament. There were several different writers, and they wrote different things. They were they inspired these books that we have today. Paul wrote all of those right there. And then Hebrews is undetermined. I think the internal points to Paul, but that's me. But the whole point is, all of these people wrote it, and it gave us some false prophets, until we attain to the unity of the faith, until all the pieces that have been given to different prophetic writers and prophets until they each bring their piece and put it down on the table and everybody has their part and when it's all complete, then it's finished. That's what 1 Corinthians 13, if you have your Bible, I want you to hold your finger right here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and talk about a prophecy. Hold your finger right there, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter. trying to encourage you and teach you something at the same time tonight. So I want you to stay with me here. Notice, by the way, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is chapter 12 and chapter 14. 
All chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all talking about spiritual gifts. This love chapter isn't just an anomaly. It just sticks in there. Paul threw it in. He's saying that love, you know, that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon? He says if you don't have that, then it doesn't matter how much you know the Word of God. Notice what he says here. If I speak with the tongues of many angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, but not all knowledge. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, don't have love, I'm nothing. His emphasis was to these people who had spiritual gifts and weren't practicing love. And he says, you guys have the spiritual gifts, but you're nothing without love. And I gave my possessions to feed the poor, I give my body burned and burn. Don't have love, it profits being nothing. Yeah, they didn't have that attitude, right? Now, go on down to verse 8. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away, New American Standard says. They will be fading. They're going to fade away. That's right. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there are gifts of tongues. He's not talking about language. He's not talking about a day that nobody's going to be able to talk to anybody else because all languages are going to disappear. No, that's not it. He's talking about a spiritual gift called tongues. He says they will be ceased. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. Once again, he's not going to talk about, he's not prophesying a day that everybody's going to be stupid. Nobody's going to know anything. No. He's talking about the spiritual gift of knowledge. He's talking about spiritual gifts in this passage. And notice, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... That is, when the complete comes. This is the Greek word tulion. In other words, that lacking nothing necessary to completeness. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason like a child. Notice the three aspects of children that he mentions here. Notice, he says, I speak, think, reason. As a child. Why does a child speak like a child? Last night when we talked about somebody sitting, you know, it's amazing God made the creation with one hand. You know, because Jesus was sitting on his right hand. You just kind of go, oh, that's kind of funny. You know, the child doesn't get it. But the whole point is, is he says right here, I used to think, speak, and reason because we have incomplete knowledge. It's not all been revealed yet. But, notice, but when I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words, childish things were taken away. God gave us spiritual gift and spiritually gifted people until the completed revelation of the Bible came into completeness. That's right. He did away with these things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, same imagery as James. The word of God reveals to us our nature, how we're pleasing to God. Mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, I know, but then I shall know fully, as also I have been fully known. What does that passage mean? I shall know fully. It means, look at this mirror right here. I got distracted by this last night. Notice this mirror right here. What does it do whenever you look in there and see yourself? Well, if it's cloudy, if it's all fogged up because if you just took a shower, well, you can't see yourself very fully, can you? He says, whenever you can't, don't have complete knowledge, 
You can't see how you look like to someone else. But he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. In other words, when the Bible is complete, when it's completely been revealed to man, we can look into it and see ourselves exactly how God sees us. Then I'll see myself like God sees me. It may not look good. It may not look okay. But the whole point is, I will know myself exactly the same way that God knows me. That's right. That's what he's saying. I mean, but then face to face, I'll know in part. But now I know in part. But then I will know fully just also as I have been fully known. Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Notice, he's talking about a prophetic day that's going to come when men are going to be able to perceive themselves as God perceives them. And that's going to come whenever the Bible is completely furnished. Whenever all these pieces are put together, until we attend to the unity of the faith, then we will get to that point and we will see ourselves like God sees us. Ephesians 4, verse 13. But then all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Notice, he says, when the light fully comes, then all of this darkness will be done away. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful as you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So, whenever the faith fully comes, until we attain the unity of the faith, notice, the first goal is we all, corporately as the church, are to come to arrive at or reach unity on what compromises the faith. And then the word unity indicates we're to reach unanimity or agreement that is oneness on what compromises or comprises the faith. With the definite article, the faith is referring to the whole revealed body of truth that Christians are to believe. Notice, that's right. What we do. Brethren with spiritual gifts were to continue in the church until it reached consensus on what the whole revealed body of truth that Christians believe. Until we attain the complete knowledge of Christ, Notice, we would understand who he is and what he stood for. We're not just knowing facts about Jesus, but understanding him. Peter shows that this perceptive understanding is gained through the holy commandment and the way of righteousness. For after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord. That's how we escape. We look at things as how the Lord looks at them, and then we escape from them. They are again entangled and then are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from the holy commandment delivered to them. We have the commandments delivered to us. We have the word delivered to us. And we can know what the will of the Lord is. Until we attain the complete knowledge of Jesus Christ, we must not separate our understanding from what has been revealed in the word of God. By understanding with the word of God, we understand Everything God wants us to acquire a knowledge of the truth. Sanctify them. John, uh, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. By that precise and correct knowledge of Jesus and his teaching, we can read and can understand. 2 Corinthians 1, 13. Stay with me just a few more seconds here. Notice, until we attain maturity, spiritual gifts would continue until the church attained maturity. The word perfect means full-grown, adult, or mature. We already know that. Let's go on. Until we replicate. This is the verse I want to get to. 
until we replicate the measure of the stature of Christ. Notice in this passage, in 1 Corinthians, the fourth, fourth chapter, <clears throat> notice, uh, where are we here? Oh, I'm on chapter 5. Notice. <clears throat> Verse 16, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, grow up unto, into him. What does that mean, into him? Into the image of him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, that by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And then he goes, verse 20, you did not learn Christ, and being darkened in understanding, notice, and indeed you have heard from him and been taught in him, just as the truth in Jesus, verse 22, and in reverence to your former amount of life, you lay aside the old self, which is corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. And it goes on down. Notice uh, all of these things until we attain. Well, let's go back to verse 13. It's where we're going to go back to. Notice, until we attain the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm done. Until we grow, until the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A lot of people go, what does that mean? It means whenever we read the Word of God, when we continue to assimilate that knowledge into us, we finally develop a picture of the full-grown Jesus. We develop a description of the full-grown Jesus, how his attitude was, what his ambitions were, what his concept of righteousness and unrighteousness are. And that fullness of Christ has been revealed to us a full portion by a full standard. Let me put it this way here. There. Spiritual gifts were to continue until the church could replicate, replicate, replicate the standard of the mature character set and measurement by the full-grown example of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse means. Maybe this one. Through spiritually inspired writers, we have been supplied with the knowledge of all the dimensions of Christ. Okay, now I really end up. In our Christian growth, reading the Bible is basic. It's something that we use to get to know God, the mind of God, the character of God. We look at the example of Jesus as it's recorded for us in the Gospels. We look at the things he teaches. We look at what the prophets and, and apostles gave to us. And by these standards, by this measuring tape, we have now been given a knowledge of all the dimensions of Christ. Isn't that great? We can know God in this way. As a young babe in Christ, feed on the milk of the word. Don't think you can grow by just, just having a Bible, possessing one, buying one. No, you've got to read it. You've got to understand it. You've got to try to understand it. 
And if you don't understand it, don't get discouraged. Just say, that's for me to understand later. Let me get some parts of the Bible that I do understand. So read it through, get what you can get. And when you go through it again, you're going to get more. You're going to get more. It's going to grow. But it'll never grow just by possessing a Bible. You've got to read it. You've got to grow in that knowledge. And the church today is dying because people buy Bibles and it never makes it into their heart or into their mind. Follow me. I'm telling you the truth. This is a matter of life and spiritual death. Just because you possess a Bible doesn't mean you know it. You need to read it. You need to get familiar with it. You need that as you grow in Christ. That's what you've got to know in order to know God. You get to know the dimensions of Christ, the facets of God's character, and that's how you start out. So, what's the practical? What do we do here? Read or have the Bible read to you. Get you a Bible app. Have it read to you when you're in your car. You spend hours in your car. You do. Or if you don't, you're going to have to set aside time at home. Time at home. Get yourself a timer. Boy, if words came up. Get set yourself a timer. 15, 20 minutes. Do you, do you think God is worthy of that much? Is God worthy of that much? At least that much. 15, 20 minutes a day. It'll change your life. It'll change the life of your family. Read your Bible together as a family, if you can. But here's what it'll do. It'll supply you with the knowledge of all the dimensions of Christ. I would not be a faithful servant of Christ if I didn't tell you that the church who has a lot of Bibles doesn't use them. We need to start reading or having read to us the Word of God. We used to know better. Now we don't. We are highly distracted. Highly distracted people. I beg you, read the Word of God. It'll change your eternity. It'll change your eternity. In your faith, it's necessary to please God through repenting of your sins, Luke 13, 3, confessing the name of Jesus Christ before men, Matthew 10, 32, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you haven't done that, have you done that? If you haven't done it, then come tonight. We'll help you do those things which Christ teaches you to do to have a relationship with him, to have him be your savior. He will forgive your sins if you will obey him. The gift is offered to everyone. Remember last night, but there are some people who are offered the gift that don't ever receive it. Tonight, will you receive that and begin your journey of developing your knowledge, so you're supplied with the full knowledge of all the dimensions of Christ's character. Start out, won't you? Come while we stand and sing.